Hey, uh, before we get into the, uh, to the word tonight, I wanted to just share with you guys uh, some of my thoughts uh, so that you can be in prayer for this upcoming series and sort of let others maybe know about it um, and sort of know where, where I'm trying to head with this upcoming series on prayer. Um, I wrote a little uh, description, if you will, of, of this upcoming series. I put the subject of prayer and the practice of praying carry much mystery and misunderstanding for many Christians. It may be the single biggest struggle for believers. On Sunday, April the 12th, I will begin a series that will address the topic of prayer head on. We are going to examine Jesus' instructions regarding prayer, as well as look at the significant prayers of the Bible. The goal, however, is not to just learn about prayer, but to get God's people praying. We want to increase the act of praying in our lives, both individually and corporately, as a local church. I believe when we truly understand and grasp what prayer is, and why God calls us to be a praying people, that our time communicating and communing with God will be transformed. We may finally perceive what God always intended our time spent in prayer to be. And let's remember that any effort or time spent pursuing God in prayer is an eternal investment that is never wasted. Will you join me for this upcoming series on prayer that I guarantee will change your life forever? So that starts Sunday, April the 12th, and I am looking forward to this series on prayer. John chapter 14, the Gospel of John chapter 14, beginning at verse 27. And I had originally intended weeks ago, in fact months ago when I scheduled this out, to go from chapter 14 verse 27 through chapter 15 verse 8. And for the last couple of weeks as I've been in this passage of scripture, I just felt the Lord saying, slow down Jeff, slow down. So I have a feeling that we're only going to get through chapter 14 tonight. We're going to take it nice and slow, okay? Because there's so much in here that is of value, as there always is, but just a lot of stuff that God really impressed upon me. So I want to begin in verse 27, where Jesus is talking to his disciples, trying to reassure them, comfort them, He's told them he's getting ready to leave and go back to the Father. They know that he's going to Jerusalem and things are not going to go well there. And so his disciples are filled with fear and trepidation. They are inwardly agitated. They are stirred up. They're distressed. They're stressed out. They're anxious. You name it. These are the things that his disciples are feeling, if you will, at this moment. And Jesus takes the time to comfort and to reassure his followers before he goes to the cross. And last week we saw that Jesus was going to leave his followers with two things that were going to make a real difference in their life. They were going to be indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God, who was going to be their advocate, their helper, their supporter. 
and he had left them his word. And if they would simply concentrate on his word and focus on his word, that the Holy Spirit and God's word would really support and empower them and strengthen them in the times ahead. But there's one other gift in chapter 14 that Jesus gives to his followers. And by the way, Jesus not only gave these gifts to those disciples of his, he gives these to us today as his followers as well. We have the Holy Spirit, we have his word, and we can have his peace. And so he says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Jesus, his personal peace, in fact, that's emphasized in the original, my peace, my personal peace, I leave with you. Now, I don't know right now all that you are going through in your life. I don't know what circumstances you're dealing with, what's swirling around, what's going on, but but here's what I do know. Regardless of what you're feeling and what you're dealing with, Jesus wants all of us to experience his peace in the midst of whatever is happening. And Jesus' peace is so powerful. And even as Paul attests in Philippians 4, it passes all human understanding and comprehension. And Jesus wants to leave us this peace so that again, whatever is happening in life, we can still experience that through Him. Let me give you some meanings of this word peace that Jesus uses here. It certainly means wholeness, and we've talked about that. In other words, instead of having, you know, our minds especially, you know, strewn in all different directions, one of the things that God wants to do is sort of, is sort of tie up all the loose ends of our thinking and, and bring it all under Him and bring wholeness to our lives and into our minds which leads to a tranquility of mind, if you will. Another meaning of this word is quietness. Another one would be stillness. Another one would be rest. Now think about that. Because we live in a world that is not at all like that. It is churned up, stirred up all the time. And Jesus wants his followers to to have this inner peace, this quietness and stillness and rest in our soul that in spite of what may be going on externally or all around us, we, his followers, can be at peace. I think about the 23rd Psalm where David writes about when we follow our good shepherd, he leads us to those still waters. And so, 
I just want to encourage you tonight to grab a hold of the peace of Jesus Christ. It's not that your circumstances might change. It's that Jesus wants us to learn to be able to experience His peace even when circumstances aren't good, if you will. And to truly be able to have that quietness and stillness. I think one of the ways that we experience this is by taking the time and making the time to come to Him and to come into His presence. The psalmist writes in Psalm 46, verse 10, Be still and know that I'm God. You don't need to be all, you know, churned up and agitated and ratcheted up and and filled with all this stress and anxiety. If you truly know who I am, you can be still. And that's what God wants for His people. That's what Jesus wanted for His followers. That stillness. And you'll notice that Jesus says, this is the legacy that I am leaving with you. Because he uses the word leave. And you think about it. Jesus didn't have land that he could leave anyone. He didn't have property that he could leave anyone. He didn't have a lot of the earthly material goods that when we think about legacies and and leaving things behind for others, Jesus had none of that. But I think Jesus had something greater. Jesus may not have left his followers with property and land and material things, but he did leave them a great legacy. He left them his peace. And it reminds us, I think, of the importance of legacy. And what are we leaving behind, if you will? And not just at the time that we're getting ready to pass from this life to the next, but I I think about the fact that as as Jesus' disciples, who are continually following Him, hopefully we're leaving good footprints, if you will, and a good legacy behind us throughout our entire life. What is it that we leave behind after we leave? It reminds me of of when Paul says that as Christians, we, wherever we go, we can be a sweet aroma or perfume that is ascending up to God. And and it's a beautiful picture because it almost reminds us, uh, even in in a very tangible way, that If I go somewhere and I spend time there and then I leave, what what have I left behind? Is Is it a sweet smell? Is it pleasing? Or is it, ooh, you know? We're always leaving something behind. Everywhere we go, with every contact that we have, every interaction we have, we're always leaving something behind. And Jesus was leaving his disciples peace. Notice he also says, not only do I leave you this peace, but I give it to you. It's a gift. It's a gift 
from Jesus to his followers. And like any gift, we need to appropriate it and accept it. Not every Christian is experiencing Jesus' peace. Not because Jesus hasn't bestowed that gift on them, but we're not at that moment accepting or appropriating that peace. And so once again, Jesus says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. And then he goes on to say, I do not give it to you as the world does. What does Jesus mean by that? I think there's many different ways that we could take it, but I want to boil it down simply to this. I think when you contrast the peace of Christ compared to the peace that the world offers us, the world offers us a false peace. There's no real peace that the world can give us. At least that can be sustained or that lasts or that remains. Especially a peace that are, is there through the hardest, most difficult, trying circumstances of life. What can the world offer us at that time? Nothing. But Jesus says, I can give you everything that you need to sustain you even in the darkest days of your earthly life. That's why for people who run after the world and the things of the world, when some crisis or some great tragedy hits them, do they go to the world for help and to find answers? No. Many times, where do they go? All of a sudden, they get really religious and they go to church or they seek out a Christian or they ask a co-worker that they know has a relationship with God to be praying for them, whatever. Because when, when, when things are really hard, do they run to the world for the answers and for help and for peace? No, because, again, the world really can't give it. But Jesus offers real, lasting peace. So after that, he echoes something that he started this chapter with. When he told the disciples up in verse 1, let not your hearts be troubled. And here again, he sort of repeats that. He says, do not let your hearts be distressed or lacking in courage. Now, we already talked about the word distress because it's the same word that Jesus uses in chapter 14, verse 1, that's also translated trouble there. It just means to be agitated, to be stirred up, to be disturbed on the inside. But this word translated or word lacking in courage, it's the only time this is used in the New Testament. And it's a very interesting word. And it means to shrink back from something through paralyzing fear. In other words, I become paralyzed with fear and therefore I don't move forward or keep on going or grab a hold of, if you will, of what God wants me to grab a hold of, maybe the opportunities or whatever in front of me, and I just sort of sit there and spin. 
We've all been there at times in our life where through the events of life we're just sort of paralyzed and we don't know what to do, so we do nothing. Jesus doesn't want his followers to ever be in that place. We don't need to be that fearful and paralyzed by whatever the circumstances are. And think about it. Think about what Jesus knew the circumstances were that were coming that the disciples didn't know. What was headed their way? What would they witness in the next 24 hours? They would witness, obviously, betrayal and denial of Jesus by two of their own. They would witness Jesus being arrested. They would witness him being scourged and beaten. They would, they would witness him being mocked and the crown of thorns being put on his head. They would witness the crucifixion. They would witness his death. And Jesus is telling them, do not let your hearts be distressed or lacking in courage. Don't be paralyzed by the events that are coming. Let my peace, let my word, let all the training that I've given you these last three years sustain you in the days ahead. And so, we, we see a very important principle just jumping off the pages of Scripture here. And that is that obviously there are times where Jesus is not going to shield His followers from hard and difficult days. But what Jesus does promise us is that He will give us every resource, everything that we need to be able to get through those days. And Jesus may be wanting to remind someone here of that tonight. Maybe you're going through a really trying time in life right now. And maybe that has lasted even for a while. It's, it's been prolonged. And you're thinking, when is this going to end? It will end at some point you'll get to that other season in your life at some point. But for now, what Jesus wants you and I to realize is that even in the midst of whatever you and I are dealing with, we can still, through Him, be at peace. And we can still, through Him, not have to be all worked up on the inside and not shrink back from what Jesus is calling us to be and to do even in those hard, difficult days. He wants to build such strength into our lives as His disciples that even in the hard, difficult days, we still step up and be that faithful follower. And you know, that, that really is then what begins to separate the really devoted followers of Jesus from those that are the casual followers of Jesus. Because we all know, whether it's been in our life at times or other people's lives, that, that many times when hard, difficult days come in, in even Christians' lives, instead of staying faithful and staying committed and staying with the stuff, they drop out. They pull away. They isolate themselves. 
And yet the very place that they need to be, if you will, even in those hard, difficult days, is maintaining fellowship with God and His Word and God's people and the church and all of that. In fact, I was just listening to Christian radio the other day. And this lady calls in and she basically was giving a personal testimony about how she came to understand that in her own life. She said, I went through a really difficult time in my life. And she said, I pulled away from my church family. And she said, I felt all alone. I felt isolated. And then I began to think, man, they just don't care about me and and all of this. And a whole year went by. And she said, through that year, I, I realized something through God. That I couldn't expect my church family to know what was going on in my life if I wasn't there to to really share it with them. And I was the one, she said, that pulled away. They didn't pull away from me. I pulled away from them. And she said it was just this realization that I needed to stop that and go back. And she said it it was just a wonderful experience to have this church family just wrap their arms around me again. And, and she realized, she said, wow, my, that whole year could have been like that. But she said, when times got hard, what did I do? I pulled away. I didn't stay with with it. And that's what Jesus is trying to teach these followers of his here. Guys, there's going to be times in your life, Jesus said, where it's going to be hard. But don't let those hard times that you go through keep you from doing the things that you just need to keep doing, whether it's good circumstances or not. My followers will hang in there when it's good and when it's not good. In season, out of season, if you will. And that's what Jesus is trying to model and teach for his own followers here in John 14. Then he says, you heard me say, verse 28 to you, I am going away and I'm coming back to you. Now I want to stop there for a minute because even though Jesus here is using a word that means they continuously heard this. Jesus didn't just tell them this once. He repeated this over and over and over again. I tell you, I'm going away, but I'm coming back to you. Did you ever have a relationship with someone where you told them multiple times things and they still didn't hear you? Or maybe someone has said that about you. I've told you a million times you you didn't hear me. And the reason I want to stop here is because this is really important. Because the word that Jesus uses here for heard really has three shades of meaning. The first is it means to listen. In other words, it's more than just, yeah, I physically heard you. It's, am I really listening? Because we all know that we could all do a better job of listening to God and to one another. Because a lot of times the reason why we don't get maybe what other people are saying or why they don't get what we're saying is because there's not good listening going on there. The second shade of meaning of this word is to comprehend. So it's not just a matter of engaging and listening. It's a matter of truly grasping and comprehending what the person is saying or what we're trying to say. But here's the final one. It means to yield. (laughs) To accept. 
And I think that might have even been the disciples' big problem. Not that they didn't hear it. Not that they really didn't even listen or comprehend. It was more like, but I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear you're going away. I'm not ready to accept that yet. I'm not ready to yield to that yet. And that's part of why they were in the position they were, because even though Jesus had taught this over and over again, they weren't willing to accept it or yield to it. So the reason I I think that was important that we stopped there is because if we're going to be Jesus' disciples and follow him, we're going to have to learn that principle. We're going to have to learn to hear him when he speaks to us. And that means more than just to physically hear. It means to listen, to comprehend, and to yield to what we are hearing. To accept it. Instead of pretending like, I didn't hear that. And then he says this. If you loved me, you would be glad that I'm going to the Father. Wow. Jesus says, don't you realize that this is, this is good for me and it will be good for you? And if you were content with what God wanted, you'd be okay with this. Wow, that's, that's a challenge, isn't it? I mean, that's why I was like, I'm not going to rush through this. Because how often in life do we struggle with being content with what God wants? What God wanted was for Jesus to go back to the Father and to send the Holy Spirit. The disciples were having a hard time with that one. And yet Jesus says, if you'd be content with what God wants, you'd have such joy. You'd be filled with such gladness. And part of what robs us of our joy is when we're not willing to yield to to what God wants in our lives and what God wants for us. We think we know what is going to make us happy rather than just surrendering to God. He says, because the Father, and this is very important, is greater than I am. And the reason I say this is important is because many cults will use this very phrase out of John 14 to try to prove that Jesus is less than God. And that's not at all what Jesus is saying here. Through the incarnation... Through Jesus accepting human flesh in position, yes, God the Father assumed a position through the incarnation greater than Jesus. But there's nowhere in Scripture, and even out of Jesus' own lips, where He ever teaches that somehow He is inferior to the Father. In fact, let me show you this real quick because it is so important. Go back to John chapter 10. And look at verse 29 and 30 of John 10. Jesus says, My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one can snatch them from my Father's hand. But then he goes on to say, The Father and I are what? 
one, equal. In fact, then if you keep reading, you understand that's why the Jewish religious leaders wanted to kill him. Why did the Jewish religious leaders want to kill Jesus and have him crucified? Because in their minds, he was a blasphemer. He claimed to be equal with God. He never claimed to be inferior to God at all. You see. And that's why, folks, when we read the Bible and we study the Bible, we have got to compare Scripture with other Scripture instead of pulling verses or pieces of verses out of context from other verses and other teachings and then build a doctrine on it. Which is what false religions and cults will do to try to, again, rob Jesus of the glory that He is due. In fact, over and over again, the Bible basically says, you want to know what Antichrist is? Antichrist, according to the Apostle John in 1 John, is anyone who denies that Jesus Christ is God. That is an, that is an Antichrist theology. And so anyway, I think that's very important and wanted to mention that as well. Then back to John 14. Jesus says in verse 29, I've told you now before this all happens so that when it happens, you may believe. Now this is important because the disciples already had a level of belief, obviously, or they wouldn't have been his followers up to this point. But the word that Jesus uses here for believe is a word that means you will be affirmed to further believe. In other words, these circumstances, when you see them come about, will actually reaffirm, reassure you in believing in me so that you'll go from this level of belief to this level of belief. You'll grow in your faith as you see these things take place exactly as I said to you, and I'm doing this before it happens. This is what Jesus wants to do in our life. He wants to build belief, if you will, into our lives. He wants to take us from one level of faith to another level of faith. He wants to use the circumstances of our life and what we go through to sort of reaffirm our belief in God's Word. In other words, when we go through a trial, say, or something like that, or a circumstance, and we truly trust in God's Word and we see that it is true, it's tried and true, it, it's exactly what God said, or this is going to happen exactly as God said, then it's sort of like, yeah, God's word is true. And, and we sort of then get reaffirmed in our faith and reassured to then believe him even more. That's what Jesus is saying here to his own followers. He says, I will not speak with you now much longer, for the ruler of this world is coming. Before in the Gospel of John, we saw that the ruler of this world is referring to the devil. And Jesus is basically predicting that the devil is going to attack like he's never attacked before. That if the devil was ever at work, it was in the events surrounding the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. 
why does Jesus call Satan, the devil, the ruler of this world? The word that he uses here is a word that speaks of one who wields great influence. In other words, Jesus is saying, the devil, he has great influence in this world. Great influence in this world. Which is why the Bible teaches us, let's not love the world or the things of the world, because the system, if you will, of the world, the philosophy of the world, is not from God. It is an anti-God, anti-Christ philosophy that comes from the ruler of this world who's yielding great influence. But notice what Jesus says. He has no power over me. Literally in the Greek, Jesus says he has nothing in me or on me. The devil can't even get a fingernail into Jesus at all. And, and one of the reasons why Jesus is saying that is he's, he wants his disciples to know the events that are about to happen, and when you see all these negative things happening to me, and when you see me, the Son of God, hang on a cross, don't think that somehow the ruler of this world has won. The reason this is happening is because I am laying down my life. I'm doing this because I want to. I'm not being forced to do this or driven to do this by the devil. That what you are seeing happening here isn't, isn't because this is His will. What you are going to see happen is going to happen because this is God's will. Because from the very time of Jesus' earthly ministry and even before, when John the Baptist was preparing the way. John was saying to people, Behold the Lamb of God that has come to take away the sin of the world. That's why Jesus came. And Jesus wants to make sure His followers know that. Now Jesus was the only human, or the only person, the only human being, the only one who's ever existed on earth that the devil didn't have any power over. Because even for you and I, does the devil have some influence and, and power over us in our lives. Yeah, it doesn't have to. But, but what Jesus is basically also declaring here is His absolute deity and separateness from anything sinful or from sin. When He says, He has nothing in me. You see. And then finally, verse 31. Notice this. But I am doing just what the Father commanded me so that the world may know, so that the world may become aware of the fact that I love the Father. Oh, don't miss that. So here's what Jesus is saying. I'm not taking up my cross and being crucified because somehow the devil's making me do it. I'm actually taking up this cross and following my way to Calvary because I love the Father. And I'm following His will 
for my life. I, I, am, I am being, for every human being, that perfect human example. Yes, Jesus was 100% God, but He was also 100% man. And in His humanity, He was leaving all humanity a great example of what it means to follow God. And think about the, and I realize we can't even begin to capture it, but think about when you begin to even consider these words of Jesus, some of the ramifications of, of what Jesus is saying and how it even applies to our life. Are we willing to demonstrate to others how much we love God by being willing to take up our cross? To what lengths would we go to make other people aware of our love for God? Jesus not only said it, but Jesus did it. Jesus says, I'm going to go through all this, not only because I love you, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, but because I love the Father. That's why I'm doing this. And then Jesus says this, get up, let's go from here. I want to take the next five minutes and I want to focus on those words. Because I think they have great application and meaning for us here tonight. I want to focus first on the words, get up. His disciples were seated, obviously. But I think they weren't just physically seated. I think in, in their posture, it was portraying the fact that, obviously we know this from the context, right now they were pretty discouraged and defeated. They remind me of probably the mindset that Elijah had back in the Old Testament when he wanted to just God to take his life and he was depressed and he was discouraged and he just sat down and said, God, just kill me. Listen. If we're all honest, there have been times where we've been there. Where we've been that discouraged, that, that filled with despair, that defeated, that we just wanted to sit down and give up. But God wants to come along into our lives. And He wants to build us up. And He wants to encourage us. And He wants to reassure us. And He wants us to get to a place where when He says, get up, we rise to the occasion. I don't know what this personally may mean to you and how this applies to your life, but I'll just say it again this way. Whatever has maybe knocked you down right now, or you know somebody else in your life that's been knocked down and they're sort of seated there in despair and discouragement, this is the message of Jesus for them and for us. Get up. Through me, rise to the occasion. I'll give you my spirit. I'll give you my word. I'll give you my peace. Get up. Don't sit there any longer. And then he says, let's go from here.
And when you think about what, what they're going to face when they get up, again, for many of us even, we'd be like, if I knew what was coming, I'd be running the other way. And even in these moments, we see the courage of Jesus, which we don't think a lot about sometimes because we think, well, he's God. The courageous Jesus here. He didn't run away from what he knew was coming. He faced it. And he faced it unflinchingly. He faced it triumphantly. And he wanted his followers to take him by the hand and let him lead them through what was coming. And that's what he meant when he said, let's go from here. He, in essence, is saying to them, let me lead you, take me by the hand, and let's go face what we need to face. And again, I would say to all of you tonight, what does that mean for you? Maybe you're in a place right now in life where you just needed to be reminded of that. You just needed to hear that. That Jesus is here, reaching out His hand, and saying to us, I'll lead I'll be with you. Let's get up. Let me take you by the hand. And let's keep moving and facing what we need to face. Let's not live in denial. Let's not pretend that this isn't coming. No, in the strength of God, let's get up. And let's go from here. God wants all of us to get up, take Him by the hand, and let Him lead. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for being a God who encourages us, a God who reassures us, a God who comforts us and supports us and helps us. And Lord, in no way do you ever minimize the hardships that we go through in life. You never told your disciples that they were being wimpy and that what they were about to witness and what they were about to go through wasn't going to be hard. But what you did say to them and what you did model for them is not only a lesson for them, but an encouragement to all of us. That no matter, Lord, the challenges, the obstacles, the difficulties, the trials, the adversity that we may face in life, that through you, Jesus, we have everything we need to get up and face it and rise to the occasion. We have your personal assurance, Jesus. And we have your Holy Spirit and we have your word and your promises in your word. And we have your personal gift of peace in our life. God, help us to trust and place our confidence in you 
and in the resources that you have bestowed upon us. And though we may have been knocked down, and though we may have at one time been very discouraged and, and, and depressed and in despair and felt like just sitting down and giving up, God, use these passages of Scripture tonight to encourage to inspire, to motivate us to rise up in your arms and in your strength and to get up and move on from here. God, help all of us to continue to be your faithful followers. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Folks, thanks for being here. We'll dive into chapter 15 next week.